Welcome to the Fresno's Best Podcast. We have a special guest today, D'Angelique Jackson. She is the president of the Fresno State NAACP. Uh, she has been involved with a lot of the protests that have been going on in Fresno, as well as advocating for student equity uh, at Fresno State. We had a lot to talk about, and uh, she has a really fascinating story um, of how she got to be where she is now. And I know you guys are going to love this episode. Again, this one is without my co-host, Amy. I'm hoping that uh, she'll be back soon. Uh, but until then, you're stuck with me. So, all right, let's go meet D'Angelique. So, uh, where do you like to eat in Fresno? Um, I would say my favorite place to eat is Pho 75. Okay. Um, McKinley. That's definitely a spot for me. So you like the pho or is it like banh mi yeah. or, or just the pho? Do you get it like yeah. vegetarian or you get it with some kind of meats in it? What do you do? Um, I am pescatarian. Oh, okay. But honestly, I think I've just eaten too much shrimp over the last <laughs> years that I've been doing this. So I usually just, I don't even opt for the uh, veggie anymore because like sometimes they'll put carrots in it at different places and I'm just not a cooked carrots fan. Yes, uh, cooked carrots can be gross. Like, yeah, two foods. I can't do cooked carrots and cilantro. Okay. Like so... So being a, pet, like, being a pescatarian, you probably know the good fish spots in town. What would you say are like the good places to get fish around here? I actually do a lot of cooking at home. Oh, okay. I am a, how do you say, um, a broke college student. Oh, yeah. I've heard <laughs> um, okay, so like if you're going to make a fish dish at home that you're excited about, what's it going to be? Oh, it's definitely going to be uh, salmon. If I can do fresh caught freshly caught then you know of course but if not then you just got to do with the hopefully like uh better ones better for right the ones that don't smell so yeah. um is there a particular way you prepare it you like to bake it pan sear it what's what's okay name? so definitely i recommend broiling because uh, uh, you can get it done in like maybe six to eight minutes and while you're waiting for the oven to heat up like you can make your different sides and stuff so for me for my salmon i like to do a like it, it's like a dijon mustard based type okay. of thing but it's like dijon mustard soy sauce honey garlic olive oil um and you mix it together and it gives it like this nice like sweet savory mm. but like kind of um yeah, I don't know. Just like a professional type of taste, I guess. Color. That's awesome. So, okay, let's paint the full picture. So what do you do for sides? You got a little rice on the side, do a little veggies on the side. What's, what's, what's your, the full dish look like? I usually go with a pasta. Um, I love making homemade Alfredo. Uh, oh, okay. Stop it. Now, what, how, what's homemade Alfredo look like? Oh, okay. So you have your angel hair pasta. Okay. Um, and then for the sauce, you're using like, I think it's like a heavy whipping cream. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure it's okay. heavy whipping cream though. Um, or regular milk. Uh, you have at least like three different cheeses in there. So for me, I don't really like mozzarella, so I don't use that, but I'll use um, feta. I'll use, um, it's just like, it's like the Mexican cheese, but I forget what it's called. Okay. Um, uh, uh, 
queso fresco. That's what oh, I okay. use. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, it's like a natural Parmesan, so not like the one in the shaker, but real Parmesan. And then I, I like to throw, I don't know if I said feta already, but definitely feta. So, Cheese is important. That's yeah, what I'm getting. So I usually try to avoid dairy, but when it comes to Alfredo. I mean, it's pasta, right? You're like, if you're eating pasta, the health thing is gone for that, for that meal. And that's okay. Like, I personally think, like, if you're going to do it, like, if you're going to eat something, like, eat it right. Don't, like, eat it, exactly. like, half healthy, where it's, like, you're kind of, you're kind of doing better, but really you should just be eating the real thing. Exactly. Because you want the real thing if you don't have it, right? You just want the real thing. No, that's very true. And then it's, like, for me, for me, um, it's, like, I also prefer to have asparagus on the side. Ooh, yes. This That's is like the dish for me. Who needs to go out when you're making broiled salmon, homemade Alfredo, and asparagus? Who needs to go out to yeah. eat? But when I do go out to eat, I'm definitely recommending Take Three, which is in downtown Fresno. Okay. Hockey's, um, Chef Paul's, absolutely. Chef Paul's yeah. is, is like is the most recommended one on this podcast by far. Um, what do you, what do you like about his, uh, his food? Honestly, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the, uh, yams. Okay. They're, uh, they're, yeah, their yams are pretty fire in the mac and cheese. So, so when you say yams, you, like for people that maybe don't eat, uh, or haven't eaten at his restaurant, do you mean kind of, is it like, kind of like Thanksgiving? Is that what people should picture in their heads or something different? Sort of, but like sprinkle on just just like just blackness on top of it it's just, just <laughs> okay. so much more just like it's it's spice it's like there's spice in it it's sweet um the texture is phenomenal like it i guess you could think sweet potato but it's like yam and next it's level. just it's just next level like it's yeah. a delicacy in its own i definitely recommend chef paul's and and what was the other one? Yeah. Take three? Is it? I, yeah, I, I haven't three. heard of that one. What? What's oh that? man, that's the hottest spot coming out. Like, if you like Chicken Shack, you're gonna love Take Three. Let me Ooh. tell you. Like, so we're talking. We're talking like fried chicken. Yeah, they they have this fried chicken sandwich. Um, they have this fish sandwich. I have never had the fried chicken sandwich because I don't eat meat, but. <laughs> The uh, fish sandwich, it's it's phenomenal. Like the burgers are phenomenal. They have like just some really crazy, just like black themes. Um, so they have the Bernie Mac and that one, like that sandwich, I think it's like a Philly cheesesteak um, mm -hmm. or something like that. So where, where I, is, just, so this is downtown? Yeah, it's downtown. It's literally right, like maybe five minute drive from City Hall. Wow. Well, I think I've probably like you have been indoors so long that I'm forgetting where things are. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't wait. I mean, I, you know, I'm definitely a believer, you know, my partner being uh, a medical professional, you know, I'm trying to be safe, but I'm also just like, I just want to go sit in a restaurant yeah. and eat the food that I didn't have to reheat. Um, and it's a hard, it's hard. Um, so as, so Let's back up a little bit. Are you are you originally from Fresno? No, no, okay, I'm a military kid actually. Oh, okay. So where where what places did you grow up in? I guess is what you say. 
Yeah, uh, so I was born in Camarillo, California, which is like, for those who don't know, I guess you could say it's, well, not I guess, it's absolutely between Santa Barbara and like LA, Calabasas, like it's probably halfway point between, well, no, that's kind of, Santa Barbara's pretty far, but it's like right. over there somewhere. Like, yeah, um, like the coast kind of going towards. Yeah. Okay. In between not a bad place. Spaces. Not, yeah. Not a bad place. A little different and than Fresno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After that, I spent the first two years of my life in Japan. Um, and then when we came back, I want to say that we went to Florida, uh, but I'm not sure. It could have been Texas. It was one of them. But I There's know that. a lot that, of places. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So my family, like my both my parents are from Chicago. Um, and then after, like, I came back to the States, I'm not really sure where, but I know we either started in, uh, Texas or Florida, and then we just bounced around between there, and then we started going to California, so. Okay. Um. So where did you end up last? Last, I graduated, uh, from Oaks Christian School in, um, Westlake, California, but. I started high school at Scripps Ranch in San Diego. And I would say I mainly grew up in the San Diego area between like being um, like between moving to different areas. So you've seen a lot of different things, but you know, at, at your core, you would say you're kind of like a Southern California person. Yeah. I, I would say though, that the place that, um, was most impactful on me. The place where I had my most defining moment would be Corpus Christi, Texas. I uh, went to middle school, like the first middle school I went to was in uh, Coronado, California. And I oh, went on there the first, island? Yeah, yeah. Okay. My parents would, because my dad, he was stationed at the base out there. Right. So right. he would drive us from where we stayed at in Tierra Santa onto the base like before work and then pick us up after work. So we would spend like pretty much all day there studying in the library and stuff. Wow. Um, so that was a definitely a, a, a experience of privilege, I would say. Um, and we were definitely lucky to be able to go to a, a public school like that. Sure. Uh, but then we moved like two months into my seventh grade year to Corpus Christi, Texas which is almost the complete opposite. Like you're like, Oh, hell no. like Coronado. To it, Corpus was, <laughs> it was That's definitely, rough. it was a, it was a, it was a culture shock. It was definitely a culture shock for me. Um, Flower Bluff was the school that uh, the district that I was in and just everything that they did was different. Uh, fun fact, I went to camp all three years of middle school mm-hmm. um, or not all three years of middle school, but I went to camp three times during like my, like, fifth through eighth grade year um, because we kept moving so often to different schools. So when I got to Texas, it was different because, you know, people in Texas, they operate different. Um, The culture is just almost reversed, especially when you're talking about just development and growth just as a human being, totally different um, environment. And Corpus Christi is definitely not one of the richest cities. Flower Bluff is definitely um, on the lower side of just financial stability. It's definitely a depressed economy, very similar to uh, Fresno. I would actually say the only place that's impacted me more than Fresno was Corpus Christi, Texas. 
Wow. Um, so you think it was like kind of like the contrast of like going from a place like kind of paradise like in Coronado and then being like gut checked by like reality, poverty, like problems that the world has. Do you think that, do you think that kind of like started that like, you know, oh, it absolutely political did. mind? I, this, this story is actually really crazy. I'm a very, um, I, I feel everything. I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very spiritual person. Uh -huh. Um, I believe a lot in just signs and energy and just all of that, like keeping good karma, every ounce of that. And I've always been that type of person, definitely trust my gut. So, um, in Corpus Christi, I just saw and felt so much pain and it like Corpus Christi translates to, um, body of Christ. Right. Yeah. So, um, it, it's literally like, there's a saying in that city that if you're, if you're born there, you're going to die there. Um, I, I know several people who like died and they were around my age and it was, some of them were freak accidents, but a lot of them were suicides because that's how bad, like the culture was just in terms of, um, just all of the violence that that city was, was, you know, forced into. And all of it was just because of the way the city operated and the, because of the way they just ignored their people. So um, my English teacher, I was definitely like an English nerd. Um, <laughs> I was the one good. that read all the books, like all that, like, oh, the blue window being mentioned really did mean something and just think deeper about it type of person. My English teacher convinced me to, participate in this competition called do the right thing like write as in write something down mm -hmm. um and it was a competition that was across uh like several different states i don't remember how many but i know it was a lot and you wrote about just violence uh the prompt was about domestic violence and um i personally had never experienced it but my family um growing up like just my family being from chicago a lot of my aunts, uncles, cousins have been affected by different forms of violence, including domestic. Like um, my mom, she lost three of her brothers to uh, gun, gun violence. And that is something that, you know, impacts me as someone who's her child. Like she gets nervous with us driving home. Like, you know, don't sit in your car, despite how hard my parents have worked to put us in a safe like environment. Cause for her, it's like, that's what she experienced. So my perspective, when I was like in the eighth grade, it was really just, you know, like if we don't start the conversation as people who are experiencing it, as the, the people who are a product of it, then it's never going to be fixed. So even if you're not actively out there, like advocating, then you should at least be having the conversations and talking about like mental health services. But like it's, that was my perspective before going. I was one of 50 national finalists that, that were um, selected. And I was the, it felt like the only one there who had never directly experienced these forms of, of violence. Like I was talking with um, kid, uh, like uh, there was a kid there who told me that the morning that he got onto the flight at like four or 5 a.m., he woke up to his stepdad like having a gun down his throat because he was upset and abusive. Like another young woman, um, she was in uh, the foster care system and her uh, foster mom, she said kicked her out like the week before because she was having this trip paid for by this organization to travel like not only to the capital, capital of her state, but to the like capital of the entire country. So she didn't have anywhere to go for a week. And it's like, that was just one of the many stories that I was hearing about and the people I was connecting with. So as a 12 year old talking to other 12 year olds that had gone through this, like, 
I just remember being so angry and just wanting to fix like everything that I could to make it a better world because, you know, like I was exposed, knowledgeable and aware of what my family in Chicago was experiencing. Like I was uh, like aware and, and acknowledged like what my community in Flower Bluff experienced. So when I got back from that trip, like I, do I donated the, the rest of my time. I spent the rest of my time that year just trying to spread like love and positivity, like how I talked about. And I ended up winning um, a Horned of the Year award for the school, like as an eighth grader, which that's it's awesome. like the word, it really means nothing, but um, essentially they just recognized me for being somebody who just like cross connected with like the different communities at my school. So I would say that's, um, that's really how I got exposed to all of this work and what my defining moment was. And for me, like being in Fresno, I feel so much of what I felt in Corpus Christi. And it's like now that I'm older and I've had 10 years, because I'm 22 now, I've had 10 years to think about this, process it, study it, because I did that like when I got to high school, like at my first high school in San Diego, I was a part of the San Diego Youth Advisory Board through the DA's office. And I got like, our team got recognized for our idea, which was redefining success. Um, by like the city. And then after I, I left there, because we had, uh, my dad got new, or, or no, uh, yeah, my dad got new orders and we moved to the LA area and I started going to Oaks Christian, like it was a college preparatory school. So I had to prepare a thesis my senior year and I ended up writing like this 41 page re research paper about violence in America, the history of it, and essentially trying to answer the philosophical question of can violence be solved? And a lot of that work, like it was 2016. So I was like, you know, talking about um, Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton in this election. I'm going to this private school and I'm like one of like maybe 20 black students in this entire school and everybody around us is in Trump gear, like make America great again. And we're all like scared for our lives type of stuff. So that's the environment that I'm doing this research in. And like, I have no choice but to act even now, like coming to state, like I immediately got involved with black organizations and I immediately wanted to look for ways that we can implement social change because like there is a lot that's going on on our campus where our black students are being uh, burned like by faculty and staff in that institution who don't really care about us or are really just there for a nine to five. So, yeah. and that's not everyone, like President Castro is an amazing guy. Like he is always there for us as a, as a president and does his best to advocate for us whenever we can, you know, get him aware of the situations we're going through. So, um, you know, there's just, there's, there's just so much. And right. ultimately like my goal is just to establish equity. Um, yeah. So, well, <laughs> no, no, you're, that's, that's perfect. I, I would rather you lead the conversation than me, but I am going to jump back to kind of like uh, earlier stuff. Um, Cause I'm curious um, how, how your dad being in the military kind of affected the way you see the world. Cause I, I you know, I'm also a military kid. So I kind of, I can kind of understand. I didn't move, oh, yeah? you know, my dad kind of got out as, as you know, when I was a little kid. So it was, mm -hmm. but like, you know, it's, there's a, you know, there's a certain way of seeing the world. So I'm curious what, how it affected you. Well, first off, what branch? My dad. Uh, mm -hmm. So he was in the Marines and the Navy. Mm, my dad was in the Navy. 
Okay. Uh, how how long do you know how long your dad served for? Uh, that's a good question. Um, not as long in the Navy. The Navy was he came back as, as an officer in the Navy, but he was enlisted mm. in the Marines. So I think okay, it was a couple cool. years. My dad was. Um, he started off enlisted, uh, and then worked his way up to become an officer. I I think he was a CO three. Um, and he was in there, he was in the Navy for, um, I want to say 22 years. Okay. So he retired in 2015. Yeah, no, really like, well, since my sister, um, since she was born. So, uh, he retired in 2015 and yeah, uh, for me it was, I, I moved, I was definitely the one that moved my little brother. Uh, he didn't really move as, or he, he moved, but he wasn't you know cognizant yet like he wasn't um he was still a baby so he didn't really experience it so much but i would say for me um i i think that's the reason why i am so empathetic because when you're moving every two years that means you're constantly and consistently the new kid you always have to you're either going to incorporate yourself into whatever environment you're in or you're going to struggle because of it. Like so many military kids, um, they, they, like we struggle with um, depression and so many different types of like mental health um, related things because we're constantly having to start over. And for me, I've always been aware that I've, I spent a majority of my life in school, like for eight plus hours a day for about like a year or at least a majority of that first year of being in whatever school, I had to figure out a way to be involved and to be accepted. And it wasn't always easy. Like nobody really likes when things are new and changing. So um, I became very aware of how influential the system was, but at the same, like the educational system, but also at the same time, just I became receptive to the people around me and what they were going through. I think I've met almost every type of person like that exists in the world. And, uh, you know, there's always surprises, you know, there's the world's always going to just be there to create new things. So, but yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like, you know, being, being, being an outsider in a community, uh, you know, when you experience that, you feel, you feel like you don't want it to, you know, you want to be an includer, you know, And I think, uh, you know, it's hard, it's hard, like when we're experiencing the hardship, I think to like see the value in it until like it's done. Right. Um, but I, uh, I can't imagine moving that much as a kid. I I, I bet that was a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it was, um, it was definitely a lot. I think my dream is to make sure my kids grow up in one place. Um, Fresno? <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, maybe with the way all of this work is shaping out. Um, I, I love this community and I feel with everything that it's given me good and bad, I owe so much to it. And with this work that we've started, this is not something that expires with my graduation date. You know what I mean? I feel like it's something that only expands once I do graduate and once I do hold a degree. So it's like, maybe, but also am I planning to have kids soon? <laughs> well, yeah, we don't have to get into that. Yeah. Um, totally so I, I, I am curious though, because 
you know, California has a large public education system. There's many universities to choose from. Um, why choose Fresno? There are particular reasons. You seem like a very talented person, probably had your pick of schools. Why did you choose Fresno? <laughs> um, I'm, so being a military kid, I'm not sure if um, you're aware of this, but you can apply to as many schools as you want to um, if you're if your parent retired, like, you know, if they retired in the state that you're living in. So for me, I applied to 13 different schools. Okay. Um, Duke and Penn State. Duke is one of my dream schools, if not my top dream school. So is Berkeley. But then I became an adult and realized everything that was happening over there. And so I, I have to retract that statement. But I'm praying yeah. that things start to change. So that way I don't have to. Um, but with being a, a student of color and a black student at that and a military student, um, usually counselors don't pay attention to you because for me, like I'm moving between all of these different states. So I have a lot of uh, credits that they have to work double time to match. And I've moved to so many different schools. Like a lot of the times to really invest in a student like me is what that counselor would need to invest in about maybe two to three students. Um, so a lot of like the support that I need is being lost and slipping through the cracks. Plus like we've seen the psychological studies that show counselors don't support black students and they don't think that we're high achieving despite the things that they they see on my record that I've accomplished. Um, so for me, graduating from my high school my counselors never had the conversation of financial aid with me because I'm going to this really rich private school um, that I'm there on scholarship for, by the way, an academic one, <laughs> an academic scholarship. And um, they, they don't talk about, they don't talk about VASPA. I had no idea it existed. So I applied to 13 schools and I got into 11 of them. I got accepted into Penn state and I was waitlisted at Duke and I was going to decide between one of those two, but then my dad comes to me and he's like, Hey, so you have an older sister who's currently in school that I have to, you know, finance. You have a twin brother who's also going to school and he's a football player. Who's going to try to walk on at another school outside of the state. Um, and your tuition to go to Penn state would be about $42,000 a year until you could claim residency. Sheesh. You, so he's essentially like, you could do that because I would support your dreams and, you know, you should go where you want to. Right. Or you can go to the state school that you applied to just in case this didn't work out. And uh, you could use a Calvet and we wouldn't really have to worry about tuition because my benefits pay for that. And so for me, like, I knew that it didn't matter where I went. I was going to try my hardest to make a difference and I was going to yeah. try my hardest to get my degree and become a successful individual. Um, so I was just like, yeah, okay, Fresno. And the first time I came to the Valley was when um, I came for dog days, like orientation to the school. Mm -hmm. So that was my, my first Your introduction <laughs> to the Valley. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you had the experience you had and, um, I'm sure Penn State's great, but come on, the Cal State system. I don't I'm it. a proud graduate of the Cal State system, and I I think 
the Cal State system is one of the most amazing things California's created because it's affordable, high quality education. Um, I, there is nothing that I think, I, there's nothing that anyone could give me um, to make me go back in time and choose a different university. Like knowing what I've been through with this, with this university, the, what Fresno State has provided to me, once again, good and bad. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I don't think I would be the person that I am if I went somewhere else. Like I know that I could conquer any challenge, but I worry that going to a place like Penn State that I wouldn't have had exposure and access to a black community that I desperately needed. Um, Because at Fresno State, there's 25,000 students and there's only 635 black students. So it's like that community is so tight and interconnected and we catch each other at every instance. Like, I don't think that I would have, I, I don't think that I would be DeAngelique if I had gone somewhere else. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. So how did you get involved with the NAACP at Fresno State? What was that process like? Um, so I used to sit on the African Black Coalition at Fresno State, which met monthly with, um, or meets monthly with President Castro to discuss issues within the black community at state and um, try to work towards solutions um, to support this community. So essentially an advisory board and uh, the rechartering president because the Fresno State chapter was originally chartered in 2012, but it, um, it died in like 2014, 2015, and then was brought back in 2017 um, by a woman named Cherie Payne. And she was definitely uh, like a mentor to me and is a mentor to me. She's definitely somebody who's taken me under like her wing. Uh, so she reached out to me and said, hey, you know, in ACP, there's a national convention, convention that we have coming up and I'd like to go. Do you think you could reach out to President Castro and see if he'd be willing to donate and like help us get to convention? And I was like, yeah, of course. So I emailed him and he ended up donating $3,000 for them to go. Um, But there was only three of them. So then she reached out and said like, you know, as a thank you, we'd like to extend a membership to you and invite you to come to national convention with us to just experience it. And if you want to get involved, then we can talk about that. And I was like, cool. So. um, What's national convention like? Oh man, it's everything. Um, you could imagine in more just about black culture. Uh, it's, you have different celebrities and civil rights leaders that were prominent within the fifties uh, and sixties, like seventies and eighties coming together and just talking about as a community, how we can support each other. Like you have divine nine D nine that are uh, just walking around with their letters on our historically black uh, sororities and fraternities who are of high regard within our community. Like, just it's just as as culture as culture can get so um it's a phenomenal experience you get to have so many networking um experiences and opportunities um and just the the conversations you have with uh advocates that are older than you who have been doing it for 20 to 50 years like it's it's an amazing experience so got it so did, did, I'm sorry, did I say it wrong? Is it NACP? Because I said, I think I said NAA. No, um, yeah, it's, 
So it's it's known as NAACP because um, you know it's it's always better if it has a little rhythm to it. Uh, yeah. But the organization we like to refer to ourselves as NAACP, NAACP. Uh, National okay. Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Got it. And so for for people maybe that don't know what what the organization does, I guess, like when they hear that acronym. So like, how would you describe like the mission of the organization, like the kind of activities that you do? Yeah. So the NAACP is the oldest, boldest, coldest organization in existence. Um, We were originally chartered in 1909. And um, our goal is to ensure the social, political, economic, um, you name it, equality of all persons uh, within the United States. So um, we're the oldest civil rights organization. Um, I think in Fresno, I would, I would like to say that for Fresno State NAACP, we focus a lot on advocating for student concerns on our campus. Like I said, um, just pushing for that equality and bringing awareness to uh, the greater issues happening at large within our community because Fresno State operates essentially as a as a micro city a lot of us don't have i don't want to say we don't have interaction with the like outside community because we do but um our experiences are fresno state like if you if you go to a university like that kind of makes sense what i'm saying as in like you have such a large community on on your campus that you're usually intertwined intertwined with if you're connected to the culture of that university or, or college campus so um, those are the things we do. Like, uh, we always take up an annual campaign. Um, in 2017, we did mass incarceration in the school to prison pipeline. In 2018, we brought awareness to the need for, uh, cultural, um, competency and diversity training for our faculty and staff on campus. Um, we were talking about just anti-bias training, uh, to protect our protected, to protect our unprotected student groups and identities. Um, and then this year we focus on the, uh, homeless and the homelessness and hunger initiative initiative. So talking about housing and food insecurity and how it affects black students within the higher education system. Um, and we've passed legislation too. So we try to dabble in a little bit of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are some things um let's say let's say i make you president of fresno state for a day what are some changes that you would like to see at fresno state that would make the campus more equitable um you know if you had a magic wand um i would say i would update the infrastructure of the campus like i would start a an immediate fundraising initiative or a lobbying initiative to secure funding to um, update the infrastructure of a lot of the buildings on there Um, and even the yard work we have a lot of areas on campus that flood Um, we don't have a very efficient like parking structure um, or parking just i guess map plan Um, is it there's too many students and like the campus can't like hold it anymore yeah like it's it's definitely uh it's definitely not big enough to i say hold all twenty five thousand students like you have such a hard time with parking and i think i would start the the project to put in a new uh actual parking structure uh so i think that would be really cool and very helpful 
as well as just updating equipment and uh, funding for, you know, um, more faculty. Uh, we don't have enough faculty and a lot of our just classes are impacted. Like as a psychology major, I struggle to graduate mainly because I can't get into the classes that I need. Right. Um, so that would be of utmost concern. And then if we're talking about just protecting our, um, our minority students, our, our students that are our marginalized students, I'm definitely pushing for my more diverse faculty staff um, hiring process, like to get that implemented. We don't have enough black teachers in any department, black professors, doctors, we don't have them. Um, and we need to increase that support. We need to increase funding for our African-American studies program um, and the like, like all of our ethnic studies. So that's something that I would really want to push for, as well as establishing resource centers, actual buildings dedicated to our different infinity groups on campus. So there's no reason why our um, LGBTQ plus and um, gender uh, uh, equity, like our, our, that cohort, why they can't have a center dedicated to that for a safe space um, to express themselves, to gather, to host meetings. Um, why our Hmong students and um, our overall just our Asian population can't have that for them, our Native American students, our Black students. Like, we should all have resource centers. Um, and I think that's definitely something that Fresno State can prioritize as, some, as an, an institution that claims um, diversity. You know what I mean? Diversity, distinction, discovery. If, if that, you know, is something that we're going to uphold in 2020, I think that that would be a serious conversation that I would want to start in that day and i would make all of them like final in some way like a yeah signed contract. this is never getting undone yeah, yeah i you, you know if the process if they can you know i'm about to say something blasphemous for fresno people um if they can afford to maintain the football team the way they do i mean yeah I don't, did you know um our football team is the only um collegiate team to own an airplane I did not know that. And well, why do they need to own an airplane? To help them get back and forth between games. And it's only the football team. It's not even the whole athletic department. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we spend a lot of money. Um, the athletic director makes like three times as much as President Castro. Why? Why? It's because for some reason sports sell, but then everybody wants to complain about having poor education um, quality. Um, and then we have conversations about debt. Like we, and then it's like, even with all the money the athletic programs are bringing in, they're not doing professional development with their students. They're just pushing them out through a, mas a machine. Like how many athletes yeah. actually graduate with a, a career plan in place? Because, you know, not everybody's going to make it to the, to the league, to professions. Like we know in basketball, isn't it less than 1% actually go pro? Right. So, you know what I mean? They're, they're not using the money appropriately when we're talking about being connected to a higher education institution yeah so all right have you done work with like student athletes that kind of feel like they're getting the meat grinder um we've started the conversations with them yeah. it's just very hard to reach out to the athletes on campus or to establish long-standing relationships because it's literally like from seven eight from six a.m until 11 p.m they're busy and they're just going. So a lot of the times, like you'll hear from Fresno state athletes, the, the black Fresno state athletes, like 
they, they're not connected to the black community um, overall at state. Like there's 635 of them, but like of us, but it's like how many of us are athletes? A very right. large portion of the black community are athletes here. So right. it's like, if right. we're not able to connect with them, then they're isolated in a, um, a program that, that holds a lot of students with damaging viewpoints and opinions. I've heard a lot of stories just about racism and discrimination within the athletic department that go unheard of and go untreated. So, um, yeah, it seems like it's, it, you know, whether it's intentional or not, we'll never know, but it seems like it's a, like a pretty clear play to like, keep their minds on the, their use, you know, we're going to use you to do this. And if you get involved in other stuff, you know, political stuff or whatever, uh, that's going to distract you from being, you know, an entertaining athlete to the community exactly. that wants to come and watch. Um, yeah, there's been so many good documentaries about uh, NCAA stuff. And, you know, I, I, I'm at least glad in California we passed that law allowing student athletes to make money off of their, I guess, their image or, or something like that. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. I know that Florida just passed like an identical law recently. So hopefully, I mean, need it. I just, I just feel like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to brag about my Cal state school compared to yours for a minute because, <laughs> because, you know, SF state is, I, I just think it's the greatest thing. Uh, first of all, our colors are horrible. We're the, we're gators, the alligators and our color was purple, <laughs> you know, the purple alligators. Um, and then secondly, we hadn't had a football team since like 1953, Oof. which I am, I, I just love. I just love. I mean, there, there were still athletes on campus, but it was like, there wasn't a ton. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, sports is so hard because I feel like it's so in the culture, especially in Fresno, yeah. you know, like every, you know, because since they don't have a professional football team, it's like, it is the thing. And I just, yeah. I, and I don't know. When- when you travel around the nation too, like when I go and do um, different trainings and I say that I'm from Fresno state, there's always at least like 10 people in the room who are saying like, Oh yeah, like I know Fresno state. I, I graduated from there. My sister went there. Like it's such a large university and the culture is very ingrained in sports and athletics. Like there are football fans of the Fresno state bulldogs uh, in Washington DC right now who have never <laughs> been to Fresno, California. Uh, who hilarious. rave about them and and just have so much hope and uh, just praise for these young men. And, you know, rightfully so. I think for me, just as a student advocate, if we're doing that, then we need to make sure that we're also supporting them academically um, and from a professional development light. Uh, but also, I have a meeting that started at 4 p.m., Okay. And I'm definitely running behind with things. But okay, well, I'm very sad any... that this is where our conversation ends because I had a... Well, if, but... if you have a last question, like I, I think that I can... Okay, I can um, so let's finish on uh, what do you uh, hope is going to come from the police commission that, that you're going to sit on? Uh, what, what changes do you hope to see coming to uh, the Fresno Police Department and in our community? I know it's yeah, a big one, but um, I wanted to get that in. I want to see the agreement that is currently in place between the city of Fresno and the Fresno Police Officer Association. I want to see it, if not completely scrapped, uh, largely modified uh, because okay. it it works to solely protect police officers and doesn't consider the uh, taxpayer dollars or people 
that these police officers are meant to protect. Um, there's so many policies um, that just don't fit uh, into the community policing model that they keep trying to push in that we're literally our taxpayer dollars go to bailing out cops who um, are being sued or are charged with a crime. Um, same thing you saw you see with George Floyd's uh, the, the murderers who who are responsible, like they're police officers and they're walking out on bail right now, paid for by their citizens um, who are enraged by this. You know what I mean? So I want to see a complete reform because Fresno uh, has a very similar structure. So yeah, that's, I would say that's my biggest concern. And as well as just, I want to see significant, um, a significant reduction in the budget. And even if it's like a gradual process, because like I said, this is going to take longer than my graduation date. Right. That's something I'm committed to seeing. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm excited to see how low we can get it. That's awesome. Well, it was good talking to you. As a final uh, kind of farewell thing, uh, do you have any book recommendations for people that are trying to learn about the issues going on right now with protests? Uh, anything that you've read that uh, that you would recommend for readers that are maybe you know, don't know much and would like to learn? I would definitely um, recommend reading um, books by our, our civil rights leaders. So when we're talking about, when we're talking about um, civil rights, we're, we're talking, you know, of course, Malcolm X, I think first and foremost, Malcolm X and the Black Panther Party, because the way that those organizations are constructed by the media and ultimately by the government are false. And you'll see that right off the, the, the bat, how the government just used and abused because they wanted racism to stay um, structurally in place. So I definitely recommend those uh, two um, groups of people um, there, well, Malcolm X and then the Black Panther Party. Uh, of course, Martin Luther King Jr. is a good read. Um, Angela Davis has books. Toni Morrison is another one if you're into fiction. Um, I think she is definitely a, 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 she's a good storyteller of the Black experience. Um, and then in terms of just like, just research, uh, CDC, <laughs> look at your, yeah. your city, your area, um, search up the demographics of your area, search up the demographics of the United States, look at poverty rates, um, just FBI statistics, the real FBI statistics, um, pay attention to the percentages versus the actual number of people, the proportions, um, and make, you know, just and unbiased decisions, um, for documentaries, I'd say the 13th amendment, um, or the 13th, the, doc, the documentary, and there's a few other that I'm just blanking on. Black Panther yeah. documentaries, um, Who Killed Malcolm X, uh, What Happened, Nina Simone, like just as much, just look up every Black activist and just try to just invest in them because with every Black activist, Huey P. Newton to specifically call out, James Baldwin, like just, just Google the people who are at the forefront of this fight and I promise you the conversations that they're talking about in the 1950s, 60s, 40s, 20s, um, we're still talking about today in 2020. So, yep. um, yeah, it does. It does feel funny reading James Baldwin's Fire Next Time. And you're like, wow, that's just today. And I, I think he wrote that in like 1960 something. Exactly. Um, same issues, different day. Uh, well, thanks again uh, for coming on. And I don't want to make you any later to your meeting. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time. 
No, thank you so much for your time today. And I apologize for being behind schedule. We've just no, I've had busy. some things pouring over. We're, we're glad you gave us a little bit of time. No, I right. appreciate it. And this was a, an amazing conversation. So I hope we can do this again. Yep, I agree. I'm so sad we had to cut this one short. It was such an awesome conversation. And I learned a lot uh, from D'Angelique. And there were so many more questions that I had for her. Uh, but we'll have to wait to do that another time. Um, please support us by subscribing and also giving us a rating and a review. It really helps people to click that play button for the first time. That one little gesture can make a huge difference. Until next time.